Welcome to Women in the Word. My name is Vanita Jones and I'm part of the teaching team. And as much as I miss seeing all of your faces, I can tell you it warms my heart to know that we can still connect, even if it's through a television or an iPad or a phone or whatever it is. You know, today we hear this, this, ter- this phrase a lot. It's during these uncertain times. It's not, I'm not fond of that phrase at all, but we hear it all the time. I think there's one thing we can be very certain of. There is nothing, nothing at all that can stop the Word of God from moving and changing lives. And I love that. I think we've proved it over and over in 2020. Now, last week, Deb was with us and she explained how the first several tribes divided up their land. And we learned that the Israelites had to rely on God as they conquered their enemies and settle into their land. This week, we watched Joshua take those seven remaining tribes and regroup them, organize them and establish their boundaries and help them settle into their good land. You know, we're also able to see so many ways that God helped them do this. He not only helped them settle into their good land, He gave them ways to remain within those boundaries of their good land. And I think all of these measures are so well thought out and and they can be applied to our lives as we claim our inheritance and we settle into our good land. It's our inheritance that comes to us through Christ. Now, whether you're a golfer or not, I'm pretty sure all of you know that on every golf course, there is that one or 18 areas that are perfectly groomed grass. It's called the green. You know, that grass is real, real short. It's perfectly groomed. I would say it's probably the most well cared for area on the, on the golf course. Now, what you may not know though, is that around that green, there is this about a foot wide area and the grass is a little bit taller. It's called the fringe. Some people call it frog hair but it's the fringe and it surrounds the green. And if you're a golfer and a really good golfer and you're making an approach shot and you land on that green, other golfers are gonna say, you're dancing. They're saying, you're dancing on the green. That's really good. Well, my husband and I love to play golf. And recently we were on the golf course and it was a golf course we play frequently and it was a par three, meaning it should take me only three shots to put my ball in the hole which rarely happens. But I got up there and I did what I had learned 25 years ago when I started golf. And that is line up like a pro, but swing like a 12 year old. And I did it and it flew. It was glorious. It's going towards the green and it lands on the fringe right next to the green. And my husband ever encouraging me on the golf course, he looks at me and says, Vanita, look at that. You're dancing on the fringe. I was so excited. We're high-fiving, we're, we're fist-pumping. We drive down there to, the co- to where my ball is. Of course, his is on the green. And I get to mine and I'm looking at my ball and I look at the hole and I realize there's a whole lot of green between my ball and that hole. And boy, I can tell you, I was wishing I was dancing on the green instead of on the fringe. You know, this reminds me of my spiritual inheritance. That hole with the flag of it, it's so easy. We know what that is. That's the golfer's goal. That's the ultimate goal. 
ours as Christians, it's to spend eternity with Christ. That's our spiritual inheritance. But did you know there are so many blessings on this side of eternity? And I call that the green space. That's the green. It's that perfectly well cared for area that you want to land in. Of course, I was in the fringe. I look at the fringe like that is when I first accepted Christ. And that, that time period afterwards when I, when I lived like that new creation that he tells me I am, and it was so emotional. It's filled with highs and lows of emotions. And I don't think it, it has a lot of depth sometimes. And I think it's an area where we can easily settle into and we become complacent. Not moving out there into that faith building, that peace in the chaos, you know, that truth revealing green right around the hole. That's where I wanted to be. See, I think dancing on the fringe is exactly where we find these last seven tribes as we open up Joshua 18 today. Now, if you haven't already done so, I want you to open up your Bibles to Joshua 18 and follow along. And I'm going to read the first three verses. It says, When the whole congregation of the people of Israel assembled at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there, the land laid subdued before them. There remained among the people of Israel seven tribes whose inheritance had not yet been apportioned. So Joshua said to the people of Israel, How long will you put off going in to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? See, chapter 18 opens with Joshua and the Israelites, and they're at a city named Shiloh. Now, this is a city that's found in Ephraim, and it's between Gibeon and Shechem, kind of halfway between. Now, before Joshua begins to divide up the rest of this land, he moved the tabernacle from Gilgal to Shiloh. Now, we're not sure exactly why. It doesn't tell us why, but I think we know Joshua. We've learned a lot about him. I think we can safely assume the reason he moved it to Shiloh is because God told him to. And God would have wanted his Levites and his tabernacle to be more centrally located. It'd be more convenient for all the tribes of Israel to access. And it would remain, the tabernacle would remain in Shiloh till years later when David would move it to Jerusalem. Now, long story short, what Joshua was doing here, he's taken their focus off. If you remember last week, there was grumbling, complaining and division and all this stuff. He's taken his focus off all of that. And he's putting the Israelites' focus squarely back on God, right where it belonged. You know, I've heard Ted Kitchen say it before. He made number one, number one again. And how did he do that? It says he prioritized prayer and worship, making number one, number one again. Now, verse two tells us that there are seven tribes left who have not moved forward in settling into their good land. And these tribes had helped other tribes fight. They fought the battles, won against defeating scary, huge enemies. Some were giants. But then we see that Joshua is accusing these seven tribes of being complacent, of possessing their own inheritance and settling into it. It almost appears like they'd snuggled into that fringe area, the good land of the other tribes, and they really saw no reason to go any further. They were very happy there. Almost a failure to launch situation. Because what does Joshua say? What are you waiting for? It's already been subdued is what they're saying. The, so what we see is them dancing on the fringe and they're quite happy with it. 
they've settled in there. But Joshua knows it's time to get these guys reorganized and regrouped, help them move on and start dancing on that green, that good land that they would possess and settle into. It's their promised inheritance from God. Now drop your eyes down to verse four and we're gonna find out exactly how he does that. I'm gonna read to verse seven. Provide three men from each tribe and I will send them out that they may set out and go up and down the land. They shall write a description of it with the view to, of, to their inheritances and then come to me. They shall divide it into seven portions. Judah shall continue in his territory in the south and the house of Joseph shall continue in their territory on the north. And you shall describe the land in seven divisions and bring the description here to me and I will cast lots for you, the, you here before the Lord our God. The Levites have no portion among you for the priest of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad and Reuben and half the tribe of Manasseh have revealed their inheritance beyond the Jordan eastward, which Moses, the servant of God, the servant of the Lord gave them. So Joshua used a very organized method to finish dividing up the good land between these seven tribes. He instructs them, each tribe, to, to put three men out to be representatives for them. And he takes these 21 men and he tells them, go out into this territory and I want you to make a list of all the cities and landmarks, all the things that would help them draw boundaries. And then he took that information and he assigned the boundaries and then he, uh, he assigned the portions of land to each of those remaining tribes. And it says he does it by casting lots before the Lord. Now, this is not the first time this practice is mentioned in the Bible. In fact, Deb talked about it last week briefly. In fact, casting lots is used a lot in the Old Testament and even a few times early on in the New Testament. But it's this impartial way of taking the decision out of out of what could be often biased human hands, and it leaves the results up to God. It was used to stop arguments and dissension and contentions between people when they were making decisions in, in different situations. Look at Proverbs 16.33 on your verse sheet. It says, a lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So now what I don't want you to do is jump out of here today, quickly get on your phones and go to Amazon and try to buy some lots. I'm not even sure if Amazon sells them, but if anybody does, Amazon probably does, because I don't want you going out to make your decisions by casting lots. Because see, there's a reason that casting lots is re last recorded in Acts 1. And that's because in the next chapter of Acts, Acts 2, that's when the day of the Pentecost was recorded. And you remember what that is. That's when God gives us a Holy Spirit and He comes rushing in like a wind and tongues of fire. Look at Acts 2, verse 1, and 1 through 4 in your verse sheet. It says, When the day of the Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. See, we don't have to cast lots anymore. We have the Holy Spirit given to us when we accept Christ and he guides us. Look at John 14, 26 on your verse sheet. It says, but the helper, he's our helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he's gonna teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. All scripture tells us even more about the Holy Spirit. He says, not only does he, he teach us, he guides us, he comforts us, 
He intercedes for us. He's part of our spiritual inheritance, part of what we have through Christ. Now, the remainder of chapter 18 and 19 records how Joshua used that information, gathered those 21 men, and then they set up the boundaries for the remaining seven tribes. And then by casting lots, he assigned that plot of land. And it sounds like that process must have gone fairly well for at least six out of seven of the tribes. Flip over to verse 47 of chapter 19, and I'm gonna read just a couple verses starting at verse 47. It says, when the territory of the people of Dan was lost to them, the people of Dan went up and fought against Lashem, and after capturing it and striking it with the sword, they took possession of it and settled in it, calling Lashem Dan after the name of the Dan, their ancestor. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the people of Dan, according to their clans, these cities with their villages. So what it seems what's recorded here in these verses, the Danites clearly felt that their boundaries for their good land did not fall in pleasant places. Like it's recorded in, like, like in inheritance is recorded in, in um, Psalms. You know, they found it difficult to settle into their good land. And it's because there was opposition from the Amorites. In fact, later on in Judges uh, 1, we see that they eventually gave up and the Amorites drive them out. They push them up north. Look at Judges 1.34 in your verse sheet. The Amorites pressed the people out of Dan, or the people of Dan into the hill country for they did not allow them to come down to the plain. Now, at first glance, this makes sense to me. Their, their land was hard. I think they were using their heads here. I think, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You know, they, it's hard to live there. It's difficult. It's not exactly what we wanted. I think there's safer places to live and less difficult areas to live in. But remember, see the land they deemed too dangerous and too difficult to live in, it was their inheritance. Not their inheritance from Nana. I'm talking about their inheritance from God. I mean, this is a land that God had deemed theirs. He had promised it to them. He had handpicked this land for the Danites and all he asked in return was that they take possession of it and settle into it. And settling into it means becoming permanent residents, not prone to wandering. And we can add on them into the Northern areas. He gave them good land. Look at Joshua 1. I put on your verse sheet, I put three verses on there. And these are of when Joshua first started to lead them into the promised land. God said these things to Joshua. He said, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon you, upon, I have given to you. Just as I promised to Moses, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, even into that difficult land. See, fear and a lack of faith led the Danites to move away from the land that God had given them. And it makes me really sad to hear this because I would imagine they missed out on so many blessings. Blessings that would have been theirs if they would have stood strong in that land, 
if they were to live courageously and, and trusting God with their futures as they lived out their lives in the good land God had given them. You know, later in history, uh, the history of Israel, we see that one of Israel's great judges, Samson, comes out of the tribe of Dan. It's kind of a good thing. But later on in, in history of Israel, it also is recorded that the tribe of Dan allowed idolatry to seep into their culture. And it happened, and then, all, then Jeroboam, who was from Ephraim, came to the city of Dan, and he set up an idol. It was a calf right in the middle of the city. And from thereafter, the city of Dan became known as a city of idol worship in Israel's history. You know, there are consequences when we move out of God's good land and settle into the fringe. And we do it because we're afraid. It's because we don't think God has given us what we deserve. We, what we think is best for us. Look at the last three verses of chapter 19 with me. This is kind of the flip side to that. When they had finished distributing the several territories of the land as inheritances, the people of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. By command of the Lord, they gave him the city that he asked for, Timnath Sarah in the hill country of Ephraim. And he rebuilt that city and he settled into it. These are the inheritances that Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers of the house of the tribes of the people of Israel distributed by lot at Shiloh before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So they finished dividing the land. See, these last three verses are the flip side. We get to see God's faithful, obedient, not always perfect servant, Joshua, wait to the very end of the dividing of the land to claim his inheritance. And he's rewarded with it. It's a sign of a very good leader. And, and, and he's given the desire of his heart. He wanted this city, Timnath Sarah. It's located in the hill country and God gave him that very thing. And verse 50 says that he rebuilt that city and he settled into his promised inheritance. He became a permanent resident. And in the very last verse of 19, the dividing of the good land is finished. You know, Israel had a promised inheritance from God that included a portion of land for each tribe. It's land that Joshua carefully, under God's direction, distributed to the tribes of Israel, and he followed every detail of God's instructions. Their inheritance also included blessings that would come from living a courageously obedient life in the land that he provided them, even in the difficult places. Their leader Joshua led them in all these battles against these huge, terrifying enemies, some of them even giants. But I'd like to say, I think the biggest battles that Joshua fought were right there in the tribes of Israel. Those battles included complaining, disobedience, fear, greed, Pride, pride that led some of these Israelites to believe that, that what they deserve, it trumped what God thought was best for them. And in the opening of chapter 18, he battled against complacency as he led those Israelites into the good land. See, we too have an inheritance from God that it's ours through the redemptive work of Christ. I believe we can learn a lot from the intentional and purposeful way that Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land. You know, he refocused them on God first. 
before he did anything. And, and he made prayer and worship a priority. And then he carefully laid out those boundaries and he encouraged them to settle within those boundaries. That's called their inheritance. And as you remember, I said our inheritance involves so much more than eternity in heaven. There are blessings on this side of glory. And sometimes, like the Israelites, we become complacent. We grumble, we disobey, we doubt. We doubt that this is God's best for us. But you know what? Joshua showed us that to fight these battles, we first have to shift our focus from all of this and onto the giver of the inheritance before we can even settle into our inheritance that we're given from God. Joshua knew that to avoid complacency in our spiritual life, we have to stay focused on God's word and prioritize prayer and worship. And when you do that, you're gonna see your faith grow because you're gonna read God's character. It's revealed in his word. And you begin to pray to him and it becomes an important part of your life and you worship him, not just in church, but every day in your life. You're constantly reminded of who you are in light of who he is. Let's move on. I want to look at the other ways that God provided for the Israelites as they settled into their land. And I'm going to pick up in chapter 20, verse 1. I'm going to read um, six verses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint to the cities a refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and remain in his case, explain his case to the elders of the city. Then he shall take him into the city and give him a place and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into the hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. He shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment until the death of him who is the high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home to the town from which he had fled. Now what's recorded here in these verses was first addressed with Moses while the Israelites were still on the other side of the Jordan River. Look at Numbers 35, 6 and 7 on your verse sheet. It says, The cities that you give to the Levites shall be the six cities of refuge where you shall permit the manslayer to flee. And in addition to them, you shall give 42 cities. All the cities that you give to the Levites shall be 48 with their pasture lands. See, God told Moses the Israelites were to receive 48 cities in all. Then he tells Moses six of those cities were to be cities of refuge. Now, you have to understand that with no police force, there was, there was really no way to um, enforce the criminal law or to investigate crimes. So it was imperative that the Israelites had a way to do this very thing safe and a pro, in a very proactive way. And you know that in early scripture, God addresses the difference between someone who sheds blood for and murder and in manslayer, a manslayer who is by accident. He also makes it clear that those who do shed blood have to pay for their crime. So he makes this clear distinction between someone who commits murder and someone who causes an accident or some other way, a death of a person. And I'm sure you can see that in the heat of the moment, the avenger, the avenger of blood, who is a relative, which by the way, it's important to know that um, at that culture at that time, 
that when a murder occurred, it was a responsibility of the family to see that that murder was avenged. That's the avenger of blood that they're talking about here. But it wouldn't have always been clear to them. And, and you can see that in the heat of the moment, uh, a mistake could very well be made. The avenger of blood, the one that's going to um, retaliate for this murder or whatever, this death, they could com- kill a completely innocent person. And then they themselves would be guilty of murder. So see in Joshua 20, God through Joshua is gonna address this very thing. God designates these six cities of refuge for the protection of anyone accused of manslaughter. And he explains that when someone actually kills another, they're to run to the gates of a city of refuge and explain what's happened to them. And they explain it to the elders that are stationed at the gates. Then that person would be granted entrance into that city where they would stand trial. And if they're proven innocent of murder, they would remain there and be kept safe within the walls of the city of refuge, safe from the relative who's seeking revenge and seeking to avenge their relative's death. Now, according to God's instruction, the fugitive was remained in that city of refuge until the high priest died. And once that high priest died, all the fugitives were able to return to their homes safely. Now, there are some other important things I think you need to know about the city of refuge that I think are very interesting. Uh, First of all, they were not only for the Jews. It was for other aliens living in the land as well. According to Jewish law, the roads were to be well-maintained some of the best roads in the area. And if there was a crossroad, there were to be signs that would keep them going the right direction towards the city. They built bridges over the ravines so that the people running to the cities wouldn't have to go in the ravines where they could be ambushed or, or they could fall or an animal could get them. And then they would station people along the way to encourage them, point them on the way, kind of it pushed them on. Just It kind of reminds me of in a marathon, the water stations where people are clapping and sending them on and refreshing them, getting to the right place. All these cities were strategically placed throughout Israel so that no one had to travel very far to get to a city of refuge. Now, I read somewhere that the Holy Land is roughly the size of Maryland. That's not very big. It's definitely not Texas for sure. So it would be easy to understand how someone could get to a city of refuge quickly. It would have been like anywhere from 20 to 50 miles, almost like a marathon. The fugitive was only safe if they remained within those city walls. But if they left those city walls, it was, they were fair game. And if the avenger of blood took their life, then that avenger would not be accused of murder. But once the high priest died, all the fugitives in the cities of refuge return home. Some may have been there an hour. Some may have been there decades. They all were released to return to their home. What a celebration that would have been. Now, many people compare the city of refuge to how we find refuge in God. In fact, the Bible speaks of going to God as our refuge many, many times, especially in the Psalms. Look at Psalm 46, one on your verse sheet. See, God is our refuge and strength, a very, uh, a very present help in trouble. And then Proverbs 18, 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Now there are some similarities definitely between when we compare a city of refuge to God's perfect and precious son, Jesus. But there are some differences as well. See, both Jesus and the cities are 
all within easy reach of any needy person. Same. Both Jesus and the cities were open to Jew and Gentiles. Both Jesus and the cities of refuge provide protection within their boundaries. And with Jesus and the cities of refuge, full freedom comes with the death of the high priest. But that's kind of where the similarities end and the differences begin. See, when we come to Jesus for salvation, we don't need a, ta- a trial. We're already saying, I, I, I'm a sinner. I confess and we're forgiven. The cities of refuge only help the innocent. They only protect the innocent. Jesus is there for all of us that are guilty, not just the innocent. Our salvation is secure because our high priest didn't just die. He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead and he is eternal. Now, apparently there is no, um, not only the locations were well thought out, but also the names of these cities were well thought out. I put this on your outline because I thought it was really neat that to see how these names, the meaning of these names point us to Jesus. Look at uh, Kadesh is righteousness. Shechem is shoulder. Hebron is fellowship. Bezer is fortress or strong. Remeth is heights. And not everyone agrees on this one, but most think Golan means um, exile. I read something that Warren Wearsby said about this. And he says, the names can be used to describe what sinners experience when they flee by faith to Jesus. First, he gives them his righteousness and they are never accused again. Like a shepherd, he carries him on his shoulders and they enter into fellowship with him. He is their fortress and they are safe. They dwell in the heights, even though they are exiles in this world. See, God's provision of the cities of refuge, I think it reveals God's great love and mercy, not just for the Israelites, but for us as well. See, God's plan of salvation for us is not a city to run to, it's Jesus. He gave us Jesus as our refuge. He is our unchangeable high priest who rose from the dead and lives to intercede on our behalf. Jesus is our refuge. All you have to do is run to him for protection and provision. I wanna continue on and we're gonna look at Joshua 21 and see another way that God is providing for the Israelites. I'm gonna read the first three verses of chapter 21. Then the heads of the father's house of Levites came to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun and to the heads of the father's house of the tribes of Israel, of the people of Israel. And they said to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, the Lord commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in along with their pasture lands for our livestock. So by command of the Lord, the people of Israel gave to the Levites the following cities and pasture lands out of their inheritance. And then it's listed all the different cities that are given to them from each tribe. It opens up and they go to the head of the Levites, uh, the, head, the head of the, uh, the Levites, they approach Eleazar and Joshua and they remind them God commanded Moses to give us a portion of, of the land. Look at Numbers 35, one through three on your verse sheet. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho saying, command the people of Israel to give to the Levites some of their inheritance of their possession as cities for them to dwell in. And you shall give to the Levites pasture lands around the cities. The cities shall be theirs to dwell in and their pasture lands shall be for their cattle and for their livestock and for all their beasts. Look at Joshua 13, 14 on your verse sheet. It says, but to the tribe of the Levite, he gave no inheritance since the food offerings presented to the Lord, the God of Israel, are their inheritance as he promised them. 
Now, during those 40 years that the Israelites wandered around in the wilderness, those years prior to entering the, the, the uh, promised land, the Levites would be camped around the tabernacle. That's kind of where they were found. Their duties, of course, included serving the worship life of the Israelites, but it also included the caring for the tabernacle. And they would take it down, transport it, put it up, all, and they would take care of all of it everything housed within it, like the sacred things inside, like the Ark of the Covenant, the table of showbread, all those things inside the tabernacle. They had a huge responsibility, but now they're in the good land and their duties are gonna change a, a little bit. See, the tabernacle's not gonna be moving from place to place because now it's set up in Shiloh and it's gonna be there for several years or many years until it's moved to Jerusalem. But they continue insist, assisting, of course, with the national annual feasts and the nation's festivals and holy days, that kind of thing. They oversaw the worship and the spiritual, the sacrificial systems, but there's a major difference for the Levites now. God intends for them to live in the cities scattered throughout the nation, not camped out around the tabernacle in Shiloh. So Joshua designated 48 Levitical cities. Six of those were the ref cities of refuge, remember? And these 48 cities were purposely located throughout the promised land, scattered around to help the Israelites remember God's word. Now, I don't, I don't think it's an accident the word dwell is used in Joshua 21 too. See, God didn't intend for them to live in isolation, kind of like a monk in that city isolated away, studying God's word, carrying out their duties there. He wanted them and intended for them there to live, to dwell with these people, to become their spiritual leaders. They were to dwell side by side with the Israelites, modeling obedience to God's word, meaning they would become residents, not living in isolation, only teaching the scriptures. They were modeling prayer and worship. They became living examples to how to live out God's commands in their lives. You know, it's recorded in Numbers 26 that before they came into the promised land, there would have been roughly 23,000 Levites. And if that remained the same or close to that, do you know that means there'd be almost 400, over 400 Levites in each of these cities, these Levitical cities and Shiloh where the tabernacle is located. Remember I told you earlier too that the promised land is roughly the size of Maryland. So these cities were located so that nobody was gonna be far from spiritual training, nobody. They would be able to find out how to, they would hear, not only hear God's word, they know how to understand God's word, they know how to apply that in their daily lives. It was so important because they didn't own copies of scriptures like we do. They would have the Levites to guide them in their spiritual life. I think it's a beautiful picture of God's love for them, that he wanted him to remember his words and apply them to their daily lives. You know, Joshua 21 reveals a very intentional and purposeful plan for them to do that very thing, to remember scripture, apply it to their lives. He wanted his word to be ever forever in front of them because he knew it's what they needed. They needed this to live their lives. Look at 1 Timothy 3.16 on your verse sheet. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for training, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God knew how important it was for them to know this. And today it's important to us as well. 
but we have his word recorded in scriptures in the Bible. And I would imagine that each of us have at least one copy of the scriptures in our home. If it's not in a paper form, I bet it's on your phone or your tablet or whatever it is you're, you use. And if you don't, there are ways to get it pretty quickly, pretty quickly, pretty easily. Here's my question for you. What is your intentional purpose a purposeful plan to remember what God has done for you, to remember who he is, to remember, to remember what he expects you to do as you live out your life. See, living a life that bears witness to God's faithfulness requires us to not only know his word, we have to live it out in our daily lives. You know, it's fairly easy when you're involved in a Bible study like we are right now, what is your plan when we finish in a few weeks and head into the holidays? What are you going to do? How about in the summer when we take a two months off to get ready for the fall? What, what are you going to do? What is your plan? Or even when uncertain times keep you from studying God's word with other people, what are you going to do? You know, you're going to be met with desperate circumstances. How are you going to know how to, how are you going to remember what God has promised you? How are you going to know when he's telling you to take that next step and hear his instructions? And then how are you going to be, be able to tell others about his faithfulness as you go through that without being purposeful and intentional in his word? It was important to God that the Israelites have a well thought out and purposeful plan to remember all this. And it's, it's important to God. It's important to us as well. If it's not, it should be. Make a plan, make it intentional, make it purposeful. Look at the last three verses of Joshua 21 with me. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give his fathers, their fathers, and they took possession of it. They settled there. And the Lord gave them the rest on every side, just as they had sworn to their fathers. Not one of their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. That should make you smile. See, these three verses show us that God was faithful to give the Israelites the inheritance he had promised to their forefathers. He gave Israel victory over their enemies, and he kept all of his promises. That's what they say in, this very, in these three verses. See, we have that spiritual inheritance too. It's, the, it's ours the second we say yes to Christ. That's spiritual inheritance promises eternal life with their heavenly father and gifts this side that we're given as well, blessings. God's power and wisdom, the same power and the same wisdom from the same God that was with the Israelites is available to us as we go into to battle with our enemies. He gives us victory over these enemies. God promises us too, like he promised to the Israelites, that no matter what the circumstances are we're facing, no matter what it is, we can trust him. We can put our faith in him. These are all things we can depend on as we move off of the fringe and start dancing on the green as we claim and settle into our spiritual inheritance. Please pray with me. Precious Father, you have been so merciful and gracious to us that you even wanted to save us. 
you wanted to have a plan that we would have a spiritual inheritance. Father, pray that you would give us the courage to step into the good land that you've given us and allow you to just show your might and show your power and bless us in so many ways. Father, I pray that we would be purposeful as we um, plan on staying in your word and in prayer and in worship, even in uncertain times, Father. We love you. We love your word. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.